Thanks for joining us. Today, Pastor Michael Heim will share with us a challenging and encouraging message from the Word of God. It is our prayer as you listen to this message that it will draw you closer in your walk with God and give you strength to walk daily in His grace. Take your Bibles and go with me back to Luke chapter 21 as we celebrate our 4th of July. And I want to go back and continue on in our series and called Stand Firm. And this morning we want to focus in on verses 12 through 19 and then we'll skip over to Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 2. Luke chapter 21 verse 12. But before all this, I have that underlined in my Bible. They will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in you, you being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your hair head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Go with me now to Romans chapter 13. But keep your mark in Luke 21. Romans chapter 13. Verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 239 years ago, July 4th, 1776, our nation was born. And since then, we have celebrated our declaration of independence from England. God had laid on the hearts of 55 men to come together to shake off those chains of tyranny, to birth a, a new nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Psalm 33 tells us that blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. Now we can also assume the negative about that too, can't we? Cursed be the nation whose God is not the Lord. So blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. But we need to learn also from Proverbs 14.11 that says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls. You know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm not ashamed of my, of my country. I'm not ashamed of the United States of America. I'm not ashamed of what America stands for, for what it's given, what it's offered, the blessings and the good that it does around the world. I'm not ashamed of any of that. I'm proud to be an American. As bad as our country is, in the moral sense, in the spiritual sense, there's still another country in this world I would rather live. I still rather live right here in the home of the brave and the land of the free. But you know, I'm not proud of where the current administration 
and its lack of guidance is taking America. I'm not proud of our stance with Israel, uh, of how we have distanced ourselves from that only democracy in the Middle East. There's a lot of things I'm not proud of as well. But we could take some wisdom from Solomon, who said 3,000 years ago, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 19, he says, What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. What America has become and what America has become is nothing new, according to Solomon. Every nation has become this one way or another. And as, as nations have risen, we know that God told us in Romans that every nation, every government has been established by who? By God. Nations are not birthed because men come together. Nations are birthed because God brought men together. Nations rise and nations fall because of God. Because of Him. Nations come, nations go. But what's interesting is that as historians have looked at all the past histories of all the nations, they come to a conclusion that there are ten sta uh, stages that each nation goes through. I like to give them to you. They go from bondage to spiritual faith. We were in the chains of tyranny of King George and, and those 55 men, go back David, those 55 men did not want that. So we went from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, to great courage, to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to moral decay, and from moral decay to dependence, and dependence back to bondage. If you had to say, where is America on that list, where would you say it is? We're past moral decay, and we're, we're beginning to become very dependent, aren't we? The government wants to tell us what we can and cannot do. It wants to be the nanny of our lives. It wants to be all of these things, you know. We are definitely in dependence. And when America becomes dependent upon the government for everyday living... It's just a, mo a short matter of time before we move back into bondage where we started. We have to pay very close attention to these things. America is a very proud nation. It's a very powerful nation. But it would be very disconcerting of us to think. And when we consider the other world empires that have gone before us, like Egypt and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome... They all have been reduced to rubble by the same forces that are prevailing our country today. I believe that we're in that final stage of dependence that's going to lead back to bondage, which is also known as a dictatorship. And this bondage, this dictatorship, was going to come in the form of what I call, or what historians and even theologians are saying, totalitarianism. The other day, Joey Bond, where's Joe? Joe came in my office, and I was kind of giving him an excerpt of the sermon, and, and I told him about, you know, how to stand firm in a totalitarian state, and he looked at me, he was thinking totalitarianism, and he was thinking like this right here. Bring that up, David. If I was to ask you what is a totalitarian state, you would say something like the Soviet Union that occupies free countries, Nazi Germany and Hitler... Communist China, North Korea, East Germany, and the Berlin Wall. You would think of these fascist regimes that are just so oppressive to those that they over, they over uh, 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 rule. 
But did you know that there are one country in this world that has more rules, more laws, and more regulations upon its people than any other country in the world? You know what country that is? The United States of America. But we don't see it, do we? The reason why we don't, we're not seeing it is because America is not being a fascist government in that sense of the word. The dictionary states that the definition of totalitarianism is a concept of a political system in which the state holds total control over the society and seeks to control all aspects of public and private life wherever possible. Now, we like to call ourselves the land of the free, but I really believe in my own personal heart that we are slowly being transformed in a totalitarian society and we're not even aware of it. And I'll explain why here in just a few minutes. But before I do, according to theologian Francis Schaeffer, in his book, How Then Shall We Live? How Should We Then Live? Let me say that. He traces Western history from ancient Rome all the way up to the present time that the book was written in 1976. And he traced this history along the philosophical lines of the country, of the scientific and the religious. From Rome up to the present day, in the central premise of his book, was three things. Here's number one. When society bases itself on the Bible, on the infinite personal God, he comes to the point here that, that God has spoken, that God provides an absolute, then we can, we can conduct our lives by that absolute truth, and we can judge society by that absolute truth. This leads to what Schaefer calls freedom without chaos if a nation will govern itself upon the absolute truth of God and His Word. He goes on, <coughs> excuse me, and he says, but when a society bases itself on humanism, y'all know what humanism is? It's a value system rooted in the belief that man is his own measure, that man is autonomous from God, totally independent. He, all of his values then are relative. Okay? We have no way to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong because what's relative to you, what is truth to you, is not going to be truth to me. So we have no way to judge society if we become that way. The way that we begin to be fair in our judgment is utilitarianism, which just simply means that we're going to start making decisions based upon the majority. And see, that's what happens. When we begin to get away from God, we begin to base decisions upon the majority. If the majority thinks that gay rights in marriage is the way it should go, then that's the way the courts and the government will reflect it. But then what happens now, you begin to segment and fragment your nation because not all are representative anymore. And so there's alienation, which has become prevalent. Racism, sexism, classism... And this is what this theologian was saying. When we kick God out of our schools, when we kick God out of our courts, we say separation of church and state, and we want separation of God and country. We want separation. God, we don't want you in our life. Then we become nothing more than a humanistic, secular, atheistic society. Therefore, we fragment our own society because our basis of truth and ruling is based upon what we think it is rather than a higher standard. 
Well, therefore, your nation fragments, and it begins to slowly break down. But there's another premise in his book that was very interesting. He says that modern relative values are based on personal peace and affluence. Now, this is, I believe, is where we are. The last two as a nation is where we truly are. Because we've already told God to get out. And it's already reflective in our government and the Supreme Court that God is not the basis the way we rule as a nation. But this personal peace and this affluence simply means that what Schaefer was saying was is that as long as the world's problems do not affect my life, as long as the world's problem is not affecting my living and my money and the, my way of living, therefore I just shut the world out and I live the way I want to live. If it's not directly influencing me, everything's okay. He warns us then that if we live by those values, then we're going to be tempted to sacrifice our freedoms in exchange for an authoritarian government who will provide us relative values. He further warns that this government will not be obvious like the fascist regimes of the 20th century, but will be based on manipulation of subtle forms of information control. The government's going to give you what you want to hear through the media, through the way of psychology, through the way of thinking. And what's really alarming in this book that he wrote in 1976, nearly 40 years ago, in chapter 13, he wrote about five pressures in our society that's going to move America closer to a totalitarian government. And look what they are. Number one, economic breakdown. Number two, when there's war or serious threat of war. Number three, when there's a chaos of terrorism. Number four, when there's a radical redistribution of wealth of the world. And number five, when there's a growing shortage of natural resources of food. Here's a man that didn't even know the current administration. Who in 1976 wrote this book in chapter 13. That's what he said. Before America becomes a totalitarian government, these are the signs in the world that we're going to begin to see. How many of those are in America prevalent right now in America? How many? All five of them. Especially one through four. One through four. Will America become a totalitarian state? That's the question. It's already called a nanny state because it seeks to control every aspect of our lives. You know, when I was a kid and going to school, we used to have a thing on the table called a salt shaker. We can't have salt shakers in schools anymore, can we? Because the government says that salt's bad, therefore we can't serve it in our schools where our federal money is. And that's just little things, just on and on and on and on. These little nanny things turns into bigger things. So two questions I want to ask us this morning and answer these two questions. Number one, what are the signs that we are becoming a, a totalitarian state? We're going to look at that. Big Brother's watching us. And secondly, how do we stand firm if we become one? And I really want to look at the scripture on how to do this. But first, before I get to the scripture, let's talk about what are the signs that we're becoming a totalitarian government. You know, once upon a time, the United States had unparalleled freedom. The world envied us. The world envies that we are a people that you can say what you want to say. You can do what you want to do. You can go where you want to go. You can buy what you want to buy, and there's no one telling you you can do that. They cannot comprehend the freedom that we have as Americans because they've never had that. 
But that's slowly changing in America. In a CNN opinion research poll, 56% of Americans questioned said that the U.S. government has become so large and so powerful that it possesses an immediate threat to the rights and the freedoms of ordinary citizens. That's over half our country feel this way. And another recent poll found that 51% of Americans agree with this statement. It sounds great, but listen to it carefully. It is necessary to give up some civil liberties in order to make the country safe from terrorism. It's necessary to give up our freedoms in order to be safe. Isn't that what Francis Schaeffer just said? And the last one, our personal influence, uh, affluence and our personal peace, you know, it, it's necessary. And when we begin to give up these liberties for the safety, something begins to happen. This is what President Obama said. I'm doing this as a comparison. He said, it's, I think it's important to understand that you can't have 100% security and then have 100% privacy and zero inconvenience. We're going to have to make some choices as a society. Now, you compare that to our founding father, Ben Franklin, who said those who give up a little liberty to purchase a little security deserve neither and lose both. The government, honestly, today is convinced that society will be better off if they regulate our lives as much as possible. They know better than we do. They start taking away little freedoms at a time. This kind of big brother is thinking... Uh, is there, I mean, so I'm sorry, this big brother thinking is very dangerous. A lot, of, a lot of government started out with great intentions, but ended up being totalitarian. This is not what the founding fathers intended, and this is not what America is supposed to be. Imagine when our founding fathers wrote the Constitution of the United States of America, and we added in the amendments through the years, it was 12 pages long. Our government introduces a health care bill. And by the way, not one Republican voted for in the House or the Senate or anything. It was just thrust upon America. And it's over 20,000 pages long. Something's wrong. Something is definitely wrong. I remember as a young teenager, Ronald Reagan saying, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. Y'all probably remember that when he said that as well. I like what Thomas Jefferson said. A government big enough to give you everything you want is strong enough to take everything you have. That's the problem when we move into dependence. We want our government to give us our health care. We want government to give us everything, our food stamps. We want the government to take care of us. We give up our freedom in order to have the government safety, but what we don't realize is that we move back into bondage because if they're big enough to give it, they're big enough to take it away. Therefore, we have moved to a totalitarian style and we're not even aware of it. This is not the country. If Thomas Jefferson came back today, he would say, y'all are slaves. That's what he would say that we would be today. Not free men, but slaves to the very government that provides you the freedom that you think you have. It's clear from the word of God, the end time government is going to be a totalitarian government. Thomas Jefferson went on to say this, 
When the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there's liberty. And our own president today said they'll warn that tyranny always lurking just around the corner. You should reject those voices. How different between our forefathers and the current administration. How different our nation has become. The Antichrist is going to lead up a totalitarian dictatorship in the end times. And when that end time is, I don't know when the end time is. It could be from this September to whenever. I don't know. But we know it's coming, but are we seeing a precursor of totalitarianism, a different style, not fascist regimes that are going to suppress the people through an iron rod, but through laws and liberties taken away, all under the disguise of have, have you noticed how much of our freedom? You know, one of the worst things, and you're going to disagree with me, but that's okay. One of the worst things that we ever done in America is the Patriot Act, where we willingly gave up our freedoms for a little bit of safety and security from terrorism. I understand the whole concept. I understand that we have to do that. I understand. I remember going to the airports as a teenager. You didn't have security. People can walk in th through the security with you, go through the gates and sit and see you off. Today, it's, you get patted down and everything else. We, we live in that world now, don't we? We live in that world where we're forced to do things like that. We give up our liberties to purchase a little safety and a little bit of security. But Ben Franklin said when we do that, we don't deserve either. That's not what our country should be. America was founded upon the ideals of freedom. To think, to do, to act, to pursue the American dream without any infringement of the government telling you what you can and cannot do. That was the purpose of America. And we are being pushed into a corner and we're not even realizing what's happening. So we know it's coming. We know it's coming. We even see the precursor of it, even today. So the question I want to answer secondly is this question. How do we stand firm in a totalitarian government if that's the way America is going to become? If we follow suit of Rome and Greece and the rest of them, then it's just a matter of time before we get there. On, my, on our church Facebook page, Go back onto WOBC, White Oak Baptist Church Facebook page, and scroll down some, and you'll see a thing that says A Tale of Three Cities. Go read that article about the Tale of Three Cities. When you're reading about Greece, you're saying, oh, my goodness, that's America. Then you go to Rome, and you'll say, oh, my goodness, that's America. And then you read about America. How do we stand firm? We know it's coming. So that's the question. See, God's people needs to understand that in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, we've got to understand that Jesus said before all this, okay, before this government becomes what, what, what we're describing, before this happens, they're going to do what to you? They're going to lay hands on you and persecute you. They're going to deliver you to the synagogues and they're going to put you in prison. They're going to bring you where? Before kings and governors, all on account of what? My name. The name of Jesus Christ. So how do we stand firm? I think the best example to stand firm, we can draw some examples of this from the life of Jesus himself. 
Jesus himself lived under the most repressive regime of all times, and that's Rome. Rome started out as a republic, just like America started out as a republic. It started out as a great nation that blessed its people and provided for the people, but it came to the point to where Rome became a totalitarian government that became a, a dictatorship of an emperorship and began to persecute Christians left and right through that because the Christians rose up not against the government. The Christians rose up because of revival of what Jesus Christ had done. And the government began to suppress that. And how many Christians were beheaded and martyred and killed because of the name of Jesus in the early church? Just read the book of Acts. You'll see thousands upon thousands upon thousands did this. But Jesus was the best example. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that when he was betrayed, Jesus said this, and I quote. It's in Luke 22, verses 52 and verse 53. He says, am I leading a rebellion? Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but listen, here it is. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Did Jesus rise up in a rebellion against his government? that he was served under? No. What did Jesus say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. Put your priorities in place. He didn't lead a rebellion. By no means. Because what we have to understand, church, is that we are not citizens of the United States first. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God first. We have to remember that. Philippians 3.20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven You've been placed in America to be a light. To bring people to the kingdom of God. Your first loyalty is to render to God what is God's before we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's our first thing. The church in the early church in, under the Roman Empire, it thrived. It was in revival, but yet it was being persecuted and scattered throughout the whole world at that time. And this is a, a, a totalitarian government that went to... Ten emperors that persecuted the church through the first couple of centuries like we've never seen before. And the church got on fire. Even the, to the Christians in the capital city of Rome, this is where Paul is writing, to the Romans, to the church in the capital city of the world government of that time. What did he tell them? Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. We have to understand whatever America is, whatever it will become, is because God established it. Therefore, we have to submit to our government. We have to be subject to our government. Not just to our government, but he said to every human institution, whether it be a republic, a monarchy, a democracy, a totalitarian state. And the reason why we as God's people have to submit to the government is because he answered his own question. Because it was established by God. See, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. <coughs> Bring that up, David. It said, Praise be to the name of, of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and season. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Notice, he deposes the kings and he raises up others. God does. Look at the next verse in Daniel. 
Daniel 4.17, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is the sovereign over all kingdoms and on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Look at the next verse in verse 25. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High, he's talking about King Nebuchadnezzar here, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Oh, what a precursor to the Antichrist here. Nebuchadnezzar really thought he was God. Raise up an, an idol. Everybody worship the idol, just like the Antichrist is going to proclaim one day. But Daniel was quick to, rem to make him remember that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and notice how God gives them to anyone that he wants. The fate of America is not in a political party. The fate of America is in the hands of God. Even the governments that were evil, God used for his divine purposes. And then he replaced that. You ever notice how Egypt was replaced by Babylon? Babylon was replaced by Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia was replaced by Greece. Greece was replaced by Rome. So forth and so on. And here's what's really interesting. You can read about this in Zechariah. Every nation that God rose up, he rose up that nation to be assistance to Israel. And when that nation ceased to bless Israel for its protection and its provisions, God conquered that nation with another nation. Babylon came in, took over Israel. Babylon began to mistreat Israel. So what did God do? Brought King Cyrus and the Medo-Persians to come in and to begin to conquer Babylon and raise up Medo-Persia. What happens when Medo-Persia? It suffered great power when it blessed Israel allowed it to go back and rebuild the temple and everything else. But what happened when Medo-Persia turned its back against Israel? Then God brought another world power in called Greece. Greece came in, conquered Medo-Persia. Greece blessed Israel. Greece turned its back on Israel. God rose up Rome, took over Greece. And now Rome, look what Rome happened when it began to persecute Israel. Where is America with Israel today? Estranged or strained relationships? We seem to be more sympathetic to the Muslim cause rather than the democracy of, of the only democratic government in the Middle East. So Paul went on and said that anybody who resists the government resists God himself. So how do we stand firm? Peter, Paul, James, John, all of them, all the early Christians served under the Roman government, the most brutal government in the history of man. But they stood firm and the church flourished. They didn't lead rebellions. They didn't even lead protests. 
You know what they did? They served their God. They committed to them, themselves to, the, to their God. And no matter what happened, with, the government came in and said, Apostle Paul or, or Saul at the time, go in there and destroy the church. Here's letters. Put them in prison. Kill them. Whatever you want to do. And the church was scattered. But guess what the Word of God said in Acts 8? That wherever they went, they kept preaching the gospel and the church grew and was strengthened in numbers. If the church is to ever get out of its apathy and complacency and get back into revival, it's going to be when the government begins to suppress and oppress the, uh, the church. The church is asleep. Paul told the same church in Rome 14 to wake up from your slumber. The church had rocked itself asleep. It began to see that that in time it just they begin to die a little bit I guess you want to call that but white hot revival was breaking out in fact if you go back and you look at every outbreak of evangelism and revival in the world it's when the church was being persecuted it wasn't when the church was safe and secure and blessed and has everything they want it's when they suffered that they, because it's when we suffer, when our rights begin to be taken away, when our liberties to be, begin to be infringed upon, is when we begin to rise up. As long as the world's problems don't affect me, I'm okay. Leave me alone, let me do my work, let me have my money and make my living. But as soon as that government infringes on your rights, you begin to rise up, don't you? Wait a minute. When we rise up, we can't rise up in rebellion. We've got to rise up in righteousness and keep preaching the gospel. There's only one exception to the rule. is when the government begins to try and enforce its belief system upon us, when it begins to stifle our service to God, there's only one exception to the rule. Then we have to disobey the government and we have to obey God. A good example of that was in the book of Acts where Peter and the apostles were told they had healed a lame, blind beggar and revival began to break out in the early church. And because they were preaching in the name of Jesus and stirring up all, these, all this revival going on, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now notice the next verse in chapter 5. Next one, uh, David. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to question by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and the determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the apostles, other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings, man. The only time we rise up against our government and protest is when the government is telling us that we cannot practice what we believe. We have to, be, we have to hold to God. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now understand this. And you rise up against your government, then you better be willing to face the consequences of those actions. Just because we have the exception to the rule and we can rise up against the government, look what Peter happened to Peter. He was crucified upside down. Look what happened to Paul. He was beheaded. 
Look what happened to James. He was killed by the sword. Look what happened to the early church in the first ten persecutions of the Roman Empire. Over and over and over and over they were killed because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. When you read Revelation 5 and Revelation 20, it talks about they were killed for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the world will hate you because of me. We have to be ready to stand firm that when we do, Jesus said that... that not a hair on your head is going to be destroyed. He's speaking out of an eternal sense. He said that we'll already be put in prison. He said that we're going to be betrayed, even by brothers and parents and relatives and friends. You're going to be dragged into the courts. And he says this will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I'll give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. See, folks, we just need to stand firm. As he went on to say, by standing firm, you will gain life. You will gain life. Jesus told us that a time is coming when darkness reigns. And are we ready, church? How will we stand under a totalitarian government, whether they be a fascist regime or just take away freedoms in the, in the name of security? Will we stand firm or will we abandon the faith? Just like in the end times, the Bible says that many will abandon the faith. Church, let me encourage you. Stand firm. Don't be shaken by man and what man can do. Jesus himself said, don't fear the man who can kill the body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Stand firm in economic collapse, in the shadow of economic collapse. I pray and hope that I'm wrong. In September through October, nothing happens. But if it does happen, stand firm. Stand firm in the midst of social breakdown that's all around us and the world around us. I was just talking to the deacons this morning. And Brian was telling us that it saddens him, it breaks his heart, that we as the church leaders have to sit down and discuss about changing our policy because of the gay rights marriage issue in our nation. We have to change our policy of our church because of that. It saddens us that we have to sit there as leaders and say, okay, at the next business meeting, we need to bring up a church safety protocol. What have we become as a nation? These are not isolated events. These are the normal trends in America where churches have to lock their doors and talk about a personal safety awareness protocol because we live in an evil world. But we don't fear. We make our adjustments and we move on. Jesus said, stand firm and you will win life. In 1830, let me close up. In 1830, French diplomat, I don't know how you say his name, Alex de Tocqueville, I don't know how you say his name. Uh, <laughs> your guess is best as mine. But what he said was very important for us to know today. He says, I sought for the key to the greatness of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her Democratic Congress and in her matchless Constitution. 
Not until I went into the churches of America and heard the pulpits aflame with the righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ceases to be good, America ceases to be great. Here's a French diplomat said, I saw the secret of success in America and it was when the Word of God was being preached from the pulpits. The righteousness of God. And that's what we're going to close on this morning. We need to pray. Not God give us a new president. God give us a new political party. We need to pray, God, I pray for my pastors. I pray for the men of God to not fall victim of the culture of, of, of common preaching today, but to be men of God who are not scared to preach the righteousness of God. Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, said righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. We need to come back, folks, and pray for our preachers and our messengers that they get back to the righteousness of God, that man is condemned into hell because unless he repents and turns from his sin. Maybe when the church rises up, things might begin to change. You know, America was founded upon the principles of Christianity. We have forsaken that and we're suffering the consequences of it. So let's pray, church, this morning. To stand firm and pray for me. Pray for the pulpits across America to begin to address issues where we really are. And not just preach about personal issues, but preach about national issues. To bring awareness, to be a watchman on the wall and not be afraid to do so. The day is coming. Let's pray, dear God, righteousness is what will exalt America once again. We hope you have enjoyed Pastor Michael's challenge from the Word of God. If you have any questions about today's message, you can reach us at 903-759-4196 or write to us. We'd love to hear from you at 117 South White Oak Road, White Oak, Texas, 75693. For more information about Pastor Michael or White Oak Baptist Church, please visit us on the web at www.wobaptist.org. Come back and visit us again. Until then, God bless.